seated. Um, it's my last chance to preach on Revelation for quite a while, so I'm grabbing it, guys. Life's, life's hard, and lots of bad things happen to good people. This is a truth that has always been reality ever since we lost our place of glory and wonder in the Garden of Eden. Heaven and earth, it used to be really, really close. They used to be like on top of each other. They used to be interchangeable, basically. For what else does it mean that God himself walked among the trees with his blessed creation and spoke with them about the deep questions, probably on nice, cool summer days like the ones we have this morning? But the two of them ruined it. God asked Adam to keep God's words, to keep his commands, to keep and cultivate his creation. Instead, Adam deferred uh, the keeping and interpretation of God's word to his wife. And in turn, Adam and Eve messed up uh, God's, God, or God's given instructions to Adam. Nice. Falling asleep. Basically, Adam had very simple gardening instructions, and they both messed it up. Don't eat fruit off one tree. And so this divide between heaven and earth, it became wider. It was, it was torn. It was like they were torn from each other. It was violent. It hurt. It wasn't what's supposed to be. People would no longer have the pleasure of walking with their God in a garden. Instead, they'd be too busy sweating into the soil, pulling weeds, giving birth with great pain, having desire for their husband's authority, and all of them would complain about it the whole time for the rest of the foreseeable future. People had a pretty good go of it, though, living without God. It's like when your parents leave home or leave you home alone and you know you have guaranteed hours by yourself when you can do everything you ever wanted, especially things that you know won't properly keep a house together. You eat bad food. You have the wrong kind of people over. You break things. You do things that you'd be embarrassed to do in front of people that you love. In mankind's case, the first thing we really wanted to do was kill our family members. It's what Cain does, and he seems to be having a great time doing it. And then he went and he established the first city where we would trade things. We would sell human lives instead of living in communities based around sharing the good and devoting our lives to one another. We got so smart that we decided we're as smart as that that one guy that made everything. And so we built a big tower and we're going to go up and say hi to him. I mean, we probably could have done it, right? 
God's up there in the sky, right? We did the math. We figured it out. Well, little did we know this whole time, God longed to be with us again. We didn't have to put ourselves out there and work really hard to get back to him. He was trying to get to us. And not just in spirit or voice, just talking to a man in the desert, pointing to the stars, but to really walk beside us again. He starts in a burning bush where he reveals his interesting name, Yahweh, or I am what I am, or everything that was, is, and shall be, Yahweh. He kept leading as a pillar of cloud or fire. He showed his feet to the 72 elders on top of that one mountain, and sometimes he even showed his backside to people he really loved, like Moses. But finally, he started to be with us in a tent, this thing you could roll up and move as you move through the desert, as you had your eyes set on a city with permanent foundations, eternal foundations, not one that moved. And then he picked one spot to be for quite a while. It was in a place called a temple made of stones in a very high but specific city called Jerusalem. But enemies of God kept on taking God's people away from where he desired to be, his temple. And his people also kept forgetting about him because they were too preoccupied with their own lives. When some strong man named Judah Maccabee overthrew the Greeks who desecrated Yahweh's temple. They forced the priests to eat pork uh, in front of the altar. Sure, the, the temple was, when, when he took it back, sure, the temple was back to what it was meant for. But geez, the people were now in total chaos, in inability to find assurance of their faith, let's consider it. There is this king. He was a guy named Herod. He was totally immoral. He was no son of David. And these Maccabees that took back the temple and were really strong and cool, they weren't from the Levites. They weren't from the line of Aaron. They couldn't be high priests. Everything was messed up. There was no son of David as the king. There was no person who could truly be a high priest. How is any of this supposed to make a uniquely, a people with uniquely unparalleled history, uniquely unparalleled accounts and thousands of years of prophecies, how is that supposed to make them feel about the stability of their nation? Imagine living in the time of Jesus with that kind of uncertainty. No wonder heaven and earth were so close. People were possessed by demons. People were looking and searching for the one. This was a far cry from heaven on earth. 
which is what the Garden of Eden was, where God walked and talked with his beloved creatures. They, people still responded in, humi- in human physical ways with their Thanksgiving sacrifices in the temple. They centered their lives around serving God and doing temple worship. And they, ded- they dedicated and were grateful for all the things that God had given to them, but they were lost. There is nothing sure. Let me give you a few prophecies from Isaiah that I thought were very unique. This is what they would repeat to one another, what they would repeat in temple worship as they look forward to something. For behold, I create new heavens, a new earth. The former things will not be remembered or come to mind. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. These are just a taste of prophecies that they would hold on to in this sinful, broken stuff that they were living in. They held on that it would pass away. How they had messed up and how messed up stuff was happening to them will pass away. They were given that promise that those who believe and your offspring will remain. And so this Messiah, this chosen one, he'll come and he'll usher in a messianic age. He'll marry his chosen people as his bride and he'll lay down his life for her. This end times hope that the prophets waited for wasn't the end of all things, but the end of the first age. The breaking in of the messianic age and end times that we get to live in. And it all started with God born of a virgin in Bethlehem. Instead of deciding between earth and heaven, heaven and earth, now or the future, we rest between God's demands and his promises called his law and his gospel. Because Christ has come, we are living in the end of all things. Christ reigns now and will forever, though for a while he remains unseen to our earthly eyes. Where is where his kingdom broke into our reality was on the cross. We just talked about this in confirmation class. Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27. So it says, uh, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and he gave up his spirit. He dies. Suddenly, the sound or the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks were split. His death removed the outer curtain 
from all who believe in him. Now you can pray to God wherever you are directly. You can read or listen to his word whenever and wherever you want. Your ancestors couldn't do this. And so we shouldn't be so decadent as to let this holy privilege be neglected. And then something strange happens, all right? Something that's often not talked about. So Jesus dies, but then the tombs were also opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And they came out of their tombs after his resurrection, entered the holy city, and appeared to many. Spooky, huh? Jesus' defeat of death on the cross, God dying there, being separated from the eternal love of the Father, even for just a moment, caused a glitch in the matrix, so to speak. Heaven and earth meet again. They're on top of each other once again. They're hard to discern. The kingdom of God that was at hand before, that Jesus was preaching and teaching about, it did it. It broke into this world and this reality. The line between the two was blurred for the curtain was torn. All of history is now touched by this one event made cosmic. All the sacrifices of old times looked to this one. All the dead in faith are redeemed by this death that touches all of history. The celebration and the wedding feast on the last day are brought in to be celebrated now here on the cross. And the benefits of what were earned there travel here through time and space to be given to you in the word and the sacraments. Jesus died. It is finished. The faithful dead rose to life and entered the city, Matthew says. You and I were baptized. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2 in his grand thesis on baptism. You were dead in your sins and your fleshly desires. Dead A carcass on the side of the road, unable to move, unable to breathe, unable to have being. But God made you alive with Christ. He forgave you all of your sins, having canceled the charge of our sin debt, which stood against us and condemned us and locked us out of Eden. He has taken it away. Paul says he nailed it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he says, he made a public spectacle of your sins being killed. He triumphed over them by the cross. 
you were dead. And like those saints on the night of Jesus' crucifixion, you were raised in your baptism, your faith, to new life. And you walked into that holy city, which is the church and will be heaven. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus' promise is twofold. We don't have to build a tower or a ladder or a rocket to be with him. We don't need to become hermits and escape the world, talk to demons on a drug trip. We don't have to be trapped by a demon staring at our phone all day or lock our kids in for the night with this momentary pleasure, gossip-spreading, mental illness-causing porn machine to make the pain of reality go away. Jesus breaks through our pessimism, our damaged, conquered souls, and he shows us a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. John says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. God brings heaven down to us, just like how he came down to us and became like us. He makes a city that looks a lot like cities we know, but it's a cube, which is really weird, but you wouldn't think it's weird if you knew that the holy of holies in the temple was a cube. Because in the new heavens and the new earth, There will be no division from where God is and where God isn't. He will live with us, be our light, be our lamp, and be with us. The new Jerusalem we see, it's prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and there it is. Jesus' bride, the church, that's her. He lived for her, he died for her, he rose for her, and he lives now and will forever live for her. John continues, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He made good on his promise. He did it. Visiting us in a burning bush wasn't enough anymore. He came down, was incarnate of the Virgin Mary, became like us. God experienced pain. God experienced hunger. God experienced thirst. God experienced joy to truly dwell like you and be with you. And since his ascension, he remains present with us in his word, in preaching, in reading the Bible, in encouraging your friends with the scriptures that you came across this morning, even though you were having a bad day, but you think it might help them out. He comes to us each Sunday In his body and his blood, he marks you 
as his own each morning when you remember your baptism and its benefits. The dwelling place of God is with people. Among them, in them, through the means of grace. John John tries to cap it off. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Your cancer, your illness, your pain, your joint pain, even if you thought it was too early for that, it'll be no more. Your spitefulness, your flashes of anger and resentment that you regret because you spoke them in a momentary, fleeting feeling that's gone now, and you said it to your loved ones, the people that you've known for 25, 40 years at church, but you don't know how to admit that you did something wrong because you don't want to look weak. It'll be gone. There will be no more I'm too busy because God will set your priorities straight. There simply will be no more death, no more mourning. Jesus has defeated it. And we have that future promise now in hope by his word. Don't you see? This isn't anything to run away from. But instead, it's to hope for and to embrace now. And this isn't only a future hope. Paul writes to us in 2 Corinthians, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I like to say he's a new creature. Because we are creatures of God, made out of dust and dirt, with breath breathed into them. But when we're baptized, when we have faith, God makes us new, new creatures, made out of the same stuff, but with the new life, the breath of the Holy Spirit and the life of Christ breathe into us. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. The new creation's here. It begins with you. Your old Adam, your old Eve, who couldn't do it, they're drowned, killed, When you were baptized. And yeah, it's our job to each day drown them again, kill them again. When they try to rear their head, hold them under the water. I am baptized. Enough. Christ now lives in me. I'm a new creation. I can do what God made me to do according to my undefiled purpose that he had for me originally. I want to look out at you and tell you your life is worth living. You are loved by whom it matters to be loved. Your creator, your redeemer. God who is seated on the throne says, behold, I'm making all things new. Write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. It is done echoing his words from the cross. It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, 
the beginning and the end. There's no more worry or anxiety. Jesus has delivered the victory to us. It is finished. It's done. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The word of God that leads to trust in Christ, the baptism that calls us his own. I will be his God. He or she will be my son, my daughter. And so I end with a prayer. God's own child, I gladly say it. I am baptized into Christ. He, because I could not pay it, gave my full redemption price. Do I need earth's treasures many? I have one worth more than any. That brought me salvation free, lasting to eternity. Death, you cannot end my gladness. I am baptized into Christ. When I die, I leave all sadness to inherit paradise. Though I lie in dust and ashes, faith's assurance brightly flashes. Baptism has the strength divine to make life immortal mine. God love you. Amen.